Hello and welcome to Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary. This is your pure gold commentary podcast. And as the name suggests, this is a commentary. It's not a study guide. So grab your study guide if you're not driving or running while listening to us. My name is Morgan Vincent. And in this week's episode, we have Natasha Sewer here to discuss the theme of understanding human nature. Uh, This is going to be nothing short of a really good discussion on something that is very important. Uh, And Tash, thanks for joining us. It's good to be here. You know, we when we consider this topic, Tash, of, of understanding human nature, uh, well, firstly, we could talk about this for for years um, because of the comp- complexity of it. But when we actually look at what the Bible has to say, it becomes quite clear of who we are as humans. And within this this quarter of what we're looking at, of how we address questions and and you know, topics surrounding life and death and, and the future hope as well. So initially, and we've been, we've been spending a lot of time so far in this quarter, in, in the early chapters of Genesis. And uh, we know that God had said that, you know, if you eat of this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. But then Satan comes along in chapter three in verse four and says that you certainly will not die. And so what happened there in the Garden of Eden wasn't locked in time to what happened there. We can see it unfolding throughout history of essentially these, these kind of two competing ideas where God says there are consequences of, of, of rebelling and of sinning, whereas Satan would say, well, essentially there are none. In one form or another, you're, you will continue on. And so I guess initially we want to look at, you know, um, you know, can we harmonize these seeming contradictory uh, phrases of God's word and Satan's word? And I want to suggest that we can't. You know, there is this distinction. Um, and it's quite clear that what God says is true and that what Satan says is, well, wrong. Uh, but what we also want to look at is the question of, you know, is there actually an immaterial soul or spirit that survives on after a physical death? Now, when we think about this, it helps us to look at the the creation of animals, but also the creation of humanity. When we consider that, Tash, what, what, what stands out as different between the creation of, of animals and the creation of humans? I think the biggest difference, uh, one with animals, God spoke words and, and, and then they were there. Whereas with humans, he formed them in the dust of the ground and then breathed into them. And so, and then we have um, Adam. Mm. And so, yeah, very, very different. Um, and the fact that God gets involved in the making of a human being is one of the biggest differences. And that he breathes life mm. and gives it life. Mm. Yeah, no, it, it's exactly right, you know, because, you know, God, <clears throat> as it says there in the text, you know, he breathes into their nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being, um, created in God's image, in the likeness of God as well. Um, Genesis 2 and verse 7 is is really a, it's a foundational verse. It's a coarse setting verse for understanding the nature of man of what the, the Bible will then go on to, to say about the nature of man. And when we consider this, Genesis 2 and verse 7, it explains that there's almost this infusion of the breath of life into the physical body. You know, God, 
in, in we can use our creative imaginations. He, he gets down on his hands and knees and starts forming and fashioning and molding and shaping this dust into a, a, a human, a, the semblance of a human, and then breathes into that the breath of life. And then it says, and the man became a living being or a living soul is quite literally the Hebrew translation. So each of us, and, and this is the, this is such a critical distinction, um, each of us does not have a soul that exists apart from our physical bodies, but rather each one of us is a living soul, a living being. Yeah. There's a difference. There is a difference. And I've heard the... Um, the example of a light bulb and how the light bulb is connected to wires and there's a switch, but that spark, without that spark, without the electricity running through it, it it's not a light bulb that lights up a room. Mm. And that's essentially with with a, with human beings, without that spark, all those things together make us a living soul. Mm. It's true. It's true. Um, and yeah, it's it's, you know, in the Bible – Satan is described as the father of lies, and so it would be very um, he would he would be within his rights as the father of lies to go about lying and lying about the nature of man, and and so so what we see is that there there, there's some of his first words in Genesis three, you know, you shall not die, and this takes on one form or another, like, you know, throughout the rest of, you know, human history to bring us today, and which is why it's so important that if we can understand the nature of, 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 of humanity, the nature of man, as it says it in the Bible, it's going to lead us not just to the truth, but it's going to, to keep us away from such erroneous and dangerous ideas surrounding life and the soul and, and things like this as well. So, um, and I think it's worthy to mention too, Tash, is that life itself is a mystery. Um, you know, whether you're a theologian or a scientist or a philosopher or, or, or whoever you are and, and whatever, you know, uh, course you intend to kind of pursue of understanding all that is reality, we all kind of come to the realization that life is a mystery. Consciousness is a mystery. You know, how can this little, you know, kind of pound of, of you know, kind of matter in our, inside of our heads be, you know, the, the seed of, you know, emotion and thoughts and, you know, all of what goes on in there. Like it's just, it's beyond our comprehension. Um, life is a miracle. Let's look at a couple of passages now. Um Tashi, if you can go to, to Ezekiel 18, uh, verses 4 and 20, and, and I'm going to read from Matthew 10 and verse 28, because we want to unpack this idea of, of, of what the Bible says, that the soul who sins shall die. In other words, there are very real consequences to, uh, to sin. Uh, and so <clears throat> I'm going to read in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, and, and Jesus here is speaking and, uh, and he says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So Jesus here is teaching on um, you know, what it means to, to, to fear God. He's speaking on discipleship, and he's speaking on um, such things which are important to understanding the nature of man. And 
it would be very fair to say that Jesus is speaking here in consistency with what the Old Testament has already alluded to. So let's go there now, Tash, in Ezekiel chapter 18, uh, verses 4 and 20. And it says, Behold, all souls are mine, the soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. And then down in verse 20 it says, The soul who sins shall die. The Son shall not bear the guilt of the Father, nor the Father bear the guilt of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Hmm. I want to throw a question to you, Tash, the, the two verses or the two passages that we read. How can these verses help us understand the nature of, of a human soul? It's a, that's a very good question. Well, it's, it says here, the son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The soul whose sins shall die. That with each... With each generation, as as they as they die, the sins die with them as well. And so you can see here that there is um, a time when a soul ends, and a to- mm. and a time when a soul lives. And and you can see that through um, you can definitely see that through Ezekiel and Matthew ten that says that as well. Mm. And so how can that help us to understand the nature of the human soul comes to an end? It co- it will die. Mm. Yep. Yeah, it's, again, there's these divine laws, right? You know, like there are very real consequences that if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And upon them eating it, they were like, hmm, we're still breathing. We're still moving. We're still alive. What's happening? (laughs) And the fact that Satan himself, the serpent, right, had eaten from that tree and had come to them was like, well, it's almost as though they were thinking, what? God had said, you will surely die. But yet. Here we are. This serpent is, yeah. you know, obviously functioning. And then upon them eating it, they were still functioning. But here's the, here's the thing, right? Is that what then began was this process of death, of dying. And, and, and the point that, to complement what you're saying, Tash, the point that these two passages in Ezekiel and Matthew are bringing out is that, you know, the physical death of a person, it implies also the cessation of his or her existence as a living soul. But also, um, there's this unavoidable process of aging and dying. Um, but also, too, and, and, and again, we don't want to just focus on, you know, death and the nature of man and, and you know, the doom and gloom of that or I should say the reality of that, but also to the biblical solution to this dilemma of death is not a bodiless soul going into some ethereal paradise or purgatory or, or even into hell, but rather the solution God has is to have this final resurrection of those who have died in Christ, which brings in, and we're not going to go there completely today, but, but we will just for a moment, is the surety of the second coming. Like there's a sense in which the, the, the surety of the second coming, the promise of the second coming gives us hope and it gives us uh, a great deal of hope because it means that, you know, maybe our lost loved ones or, or, or people that have, have died, 
one, on a very, very practical level, they're not seeing what's going on on this planet. But a a second thing too is like they've rested from their labors. They've rested from pain and suffering. Um, What to you, Tash, what, what, or not what, rather how, how does the, the, the promise and the surety of the second coming ground you? Well, it's, it helps ground me knowing that there, well, in the second coming that, when Jesus comes, I get to have a a brand new body and a and a and uh you know an amazing body that that continues to go and is able to serve and do things, but also know that those who have gone before me are resting as well, and that we are waiting for the same Jesus to come again and so that's definitely grounding and and hopeful in knowing that those who have gone before me are not in some para- some place Mm-mm. looking down and, and missing out on the things that are happening here. Um, but yet there's, yeah, that we have this hope together. And mm. so that, that, that's the thing that's grounding in that. Yeah. Let's look at a passage now in Ezekiel, uh, not Ezekiel, in Ecclesiastes 12 uh, verses 1 to 7. And um, something we, um, yeah, if you can go there, Tash, Ezekiel, Ecclesiastes, I've done it again. Um, Ecclesiastes, they're both, they're, they're both kind of have the, both the same. The same prefix almost. Um, In Ecclesiastes 12 verses 1 to 7, there you go, I got it right. Um, We can learn the truth about the nature of man from what the text says, but also what it doesn't say. And and we're going to see this come out uh, by what the the text says and what it doesn't say. And, um, you know, just while you're going there, Tash, you know, the Bible, again, we're reinforcing this point that the Bible is teaching that the human being is a soul. Um, and, and, and that can seem crazy, but it's true. Like we, we are a soul in and of our, you know, our whole composite. Um, yeah, let's, let's go there. Um, maybe Tash, if you can focus in on, on verse seven in Ecclesiastes 12. It says, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Hmm. Now, we can learn something, as I said, from what the text says and what it doesn't say. Um, you know, some people can often say, well, what about the spirit? You know, yeah, sure, like their bodies, they're dead in the ground and, and, you know, decaying over time. But what about the spirit of that person? You know, doesn't it remain conscious or, or, or even after the death of the body? And and much of the Christian world and, and, and much of the human, you know, race believes this. Um and, and they'll quote Ecclesiastes 12.7, but this statement, it doesn't actually suggest that the spirit of the dead remains conscious in God's presence. Like, the text isn't saying that this spirit, you know, is 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 conscious, is is kind of alive and, and, and moving. It just says that it returns, the spirit will return to God who gave it. Like, they're reading, they're reading something into the text that's not actually... Just not actually there in the text, um, and and that can be because of you know commonly held beliefs or commonly held views or you know the you know the overarching story of of, of you know uh, what is commonly held um, you know within movies and you know TV shows and and just kind of oh yeah I think that's kind of what someone told me and you know like but we don't actually stop and think 
okay, what's the text saying um, <clears throat> as well? So, yeah, look, the other thing too with this passage, and, and, and I'll, I'll just give a couple more comments on it before we move on, is that um, Ecclesiastes 12, it, it, in, in very dramatic terms, it describes the aging process which culminates in death. Um, you know, time doesn't allow us to, to read that whole passage, but verse 7 in particular refers to death as the reversal of the creation process. So Genesis 2.7, God forms man from the dust of the ground and breathes into his, into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being, a living soul. And then upon death, it's the reversal of that. It's amazing. Like, and, and, and uh, it's been said, you know, bringing this in, and um, you know, a good friend of mine mentioned this quote to me, by one of the, um, the the early church fathers, he said that um, you know, quoting the church father, he said, um, "We we are dust bound for heaven." And think about it: all we are, and all our listeners are, is simply glorified dust, dust and dirt that God has done something with, dust and dirt that God has breathed into. Kind of, and 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 this is where, and let's go here just for a moment. It goes to show how um, meaningful and impactful this is for us. It's, we're not just talking and proving a point to say, well, this is what happens when you die. But it's like, hold on a minute. Like our life that we live here, wow, like we're just dust, but yet God has breathed into that and we're glorified. Like it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But also amazing in that something can be done with simple things like dust and that yeah. is our lives. So, yeah. Mm. No. Um, going to throw a question to you, Tash. It's off script. It's off topic. No, it's not off topic, but it's def definitely off script. <laughs> okay, let's go. Um, for you and for our listeners, how can we be humbled by the fact that we – are made from dust that God has breathed into. How, how can that humble us? But yet also, how can that give us the sense of amazement in who God is? It's humbling in that we could just be a speck of dust and be and mean nothing. And yet God comes into our dust our story, our lives, and turns it into something, like you said, amazing, and turns into something that is meaningful and turns into something that is that is hopeful. Mm. I mean, we get to live in communities and do life with others and and enjoy amazing food. We're not just specks of dust. And mm. I think, wow, it, it's a lot we have to be very grateful for, I guess, grateful for and and as well as amazed, yeah. Mm. Yeah, because you you imagine if <clears throat> if all we ever you know if if God is out of the picture in someone's life, they have no regard for God. Like they just go about living their life, um, and they just believe that they'll kind of just live live their life on earth and they'll die and then that's it. Um. And, and and to quote from from Richard Dawkins, like you know, 
it's just blind, pitiless indifference. Like it's it's a very bleak outlook. Um, I don't really know if that person, if they're honest with themselves. And 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 look, I, I stand to be corrected. Whether they can actually genuinely say they've got purpose to life. Because if all they believe is just this, they're, they're just this, you know, speck of dust that they, they, they kind of, you know, came, came from this, you know, primordial soup. Um, but yet the story of God, the story of the Bible says, well, yes, we still came from dust. But what did God do with that dust? Well, he formed it, he fashioned it, he molded it, he shaped it into what he wanted it to be. And then he breathed into it his breath, the breath of life. And then that dust with his breath became a living soul. Now we have value. Now we have purpose. Now we have meaning that even upon our worst of days, we're still loved, we're still valued, we know where we came from, we know why we are here, and we know where we're going. And so this is where, and, and again, I want to, to, to use this word, this is where the, the nature of man has an existential grounding for us. It, we know the purpose of our existence. Um, so it's pretty important on many levels. Let's let's keep going um, in in some of our closing moments. Tash, um, Bible also speaks of how the dead know nothing, um, and and yeah, we just want to look at that in terms of you know some thoughts that 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 are in Job and and in the Psalms as well. Um, you know, let's. Yeah, Job 3. Job 3 in particular, you know, here he's like, why was I even born? You know, you know, he wished he hadn't been born. But he also realizes that if he had died at his birth, then Job would have remained asleep and at rest. Now, we're going somewhere with this. In, in Psalm 115, it defines the location where the dead are kept as a place of silence. Um, Tash, if you can read for us Psalm 115, in verse 17, uh, this, is a, this is a really you know, special verse um, because, as I said, it defines the location of where the dead are. Um, but also, too, we alluded to it before that you know, also you know, in speaking of the dead know nothing, it can almost roll off our tongue at times and we can lose the sense of meaning and significance of that, is that those who have, have died, um, they're ceasing from mental activity as well. Now, you know, if, if you have, uh, you know, if you, you know, if you've gone under anesthetic ready for a surgery or something, uh, your, your, your brain is still going. You haven't ceased from mental activities. But yet here, um, you know, what the Bible is, is, is bringing out is that, you know, all parts of you have ceased. Like you as, as a living being have ceased. Um, anyway, yeah, let's go back to, to Psalm 115 and verse 17, Tash. It says, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. Mm. So this place of silence, um, hmm, this place of silence, 
The dead know nothing. They, they, they've gone and they're kept. And I think that word kept is very important. Tash, if you were to keep something, um, what does that mean? Like if you were to keep something. It means I was holding onto it or it belonged to me or something. Right. Yeah. So if the dead are kept in the place of silence, the question then is, is who's got claim over them? Do you know what I mean? Like, because if, if we're speaking of those who have died in Christ and they've been kept in this place of silence, you know, the dead do not praise the Lord. They, they're kept in this place of silence. Who, who, who lays claim upon them? Well, God does. Because upon the second coming of Jesus, well, the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise. Like the, he, he's like, no, the, these are mine. And so death, you know, some, some of us can say that, you know, oh, death, it's just a part of life. But it, it, that couldn't be further from the truth because it was never part of God's plan. It's a disruption in that. Um, I want to get your comments and thoughts, Tash, on how how we can, mm, let me think of it this way. When we consider that death is is an enemy, how is the second coming then? I'll say it this way. If death is the enemy, how is the second coming of Jesus our friend? The truth of the second coming, how can that be um, be a friend to us? Because what Jesus does in his second coming is reveals who he is, but he also conquers death. He conquered death at the cross, but he, he is now not just the conqueror of death, the conqueror of the enemy, but he is our friend. And that's a, an answer to your question, mm. how, how Jesus is our friend. Yeah, so it, it's, it's um, yeah, no, that, that's, that's the simple point because, you know, death is the enemy. And not only is not only is Jesus our friend, but rather the hope of his second coming is this comfort. Um, so, I want to read this 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 statement from the Desire of Ages as we as we bring it to a close. It says here that to the Christian, death is but a sleep, a moment of silence and darkness. The life is hid with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Um, have you got a takeaway? Take, not takeaway, like a take-home message that um, we can leave with with the listeners. Tash, got any any pearls of of wisdom, encouragement? No pearls of wisdom. Um, I just want to go back to uh, when you said. Uh, God gets involved in our specks of dust and in that he's given us not only a hope but a purpose. And as we wait um, for him to come again and, uh, you know, a lot of our friends and family have gone before us, we know that there is this great hope that not only Jesus is our friend but he is coming back to defeat the enemy for good. Mm. And so I think that's definitely something that we can take with us into into our own lives and for the rest of the day and for, yeah, just for. Mm, it's good. It's good. Yeah. So, you know, let, let that be our encouragement. 
um, you know, be in Christ, be, be in fellowship, connection, in relationship with him. Because when we are in Christ, who is our life, when he appears, then we appear. Uh, it's this incredible, you know, so it's so simple yet so profound. Like when we are in Christ and when he appears, man, what it's going to be incredible seeing all those graves and people popping up out of them and Jesus calling them from from the grave. And so, yeah, to be with him, he, he, he lays claim upon them. Uh, and death definitely doesn't have the final say. Um, Jesus does. And so to our listeners, um, thanks for joining us again. And Tash, yeah, thanks for, for coming and joining the podcast today. Good to be here. That is all for today. And until next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you like the conversation, tell your friends. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening right now. Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary is a production of the Sabbath School Department of the North New South Wales Conference. This week's episode was produced by Henrique Felix and Morgan Vincent. That's it. We'll see you next week.